Hey everybody, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today is a super fun episode with my friend Matt Chittum. This is episode 189. You may know Matt from the podcast called The Rambling Runner. I have been a guest on his show. I listen to his show and just appreciate what he's doing in the space, in the podcasting and running scene. Actually, a lot of people listening today, you maybe have been on his show as well because his show, The Rambling Runner, is a show where he talks to amateur runners, everyday athletes like myself and possibly some of you. Matt has been a friend over these past couple years and he's the dad of two. He works full time and does this podcast thing on the side. He is one of the hardest working people that I know. And I talked to him about that a little bit towards the end. I'm like, how long can you do this? He works so hard and he does such a great job. Uh, One thing that's really exciting that's happening in Matt's world is he's launching a series called Road to the Olympic Trials, where he's following eight athletes who are either running in the trials or trying to qualify for the trials this fall. And that is launching this coming week, July 7th or 8th. He's not totally sure on the official date, but you're going to want to go to your podcast app and search Road to the Olympic Trials and make sure you subscribe to that because Matt is doing some really cool things over there. So I'm excited to share with you what Matt's doing, but I also, beyond his shows, just wanted to get to know him a little bit better and share about his life because he's behind the microphone on this side so often. Uh, He's always a pleasure to talk to. He's really easy to have a conversation with, which is why he's a great podcast host. Before we get started talking with Matt, I want to tell you, check out the Susan G. Komen three-day if you want to get involved in the fight against breast cancer. This fall across seven cities, including Detroit, Twin Cities, New England, Seattle, Philadelphia, San Diego, and Dallas, they have a three-day event where you can commit to walking 60 miles over three days and be a part of the fight against breast cancer. This topic and cause is super important in my own life as I am positive for the BRCA2 gene mutation. And and the really awesome thing about cancer research is that there are some people in this world who are really smart, who figured out what this gene mutation is that I have that puts me at an 86% chance of getting breast cancer in my lifetime. They found out how to test and see if you have this mutation. And since I found out that I had it, I was able to be proactive and have preventative surgery and screenings. So I'm super passionate about this. And if you're looking to get involved in this fight, you can visit the3day.org. Grab a couple friends, be a part of this life-changing event. Go to the3day.org. All right, friends, let's go ahead and enjoy my conversation with Matt Chittum. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have the one and only Matt Chitton from the Ran- Rambling Runner podcast. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the show. The one and only. Wow. That's generous, Lindsay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know what? I just appreciate you so much. And so many people listening are familiar with your show. Actually, so many people listening have probably been on your show, which is really cool. Yeah. I'll tell you what. The people I've had on my show... Um, shoot, man, they're pretty cool. I got to be honest with you. I feel like that whole show started with me being like, all right, I just want to talk to these people. And whether or not this conversation's recorded or not doesn't change the fact that I would love to talk to them. So uh, if any of them are listening, 
what up? If not, hey, I, I'm lucky enough to to do to do this and be talking to amazing and fascinating runners. So you'll never hear me say anything ill about that. Yeah, the most recent episode of yours that I listened to, well, I don't know if it was your most recent, but the last episode I listened to was Nick. I don't know how to say his last name. Oh, Nick Klaseva? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm not even going to try to say his last name. <laughs> it was really good, though, because, you know, I know him on Instagram, and I, like, I didn't know what his personality was really like or anything, and I felt like I really got to know him, and it was such an enjoyable conversation. Yeah, I agree with you. I love talking to Nick as well. And I think that's one of the one of the easier aspects of talking to dedicated amateur runners is that a lot of them don't, you know, aren't on a lot of interviews, right? They don't get asked, you know, in a long form format, hey, tell me about your running career, which any runner can speak at length about, even if it's like not a fascinating one. Like we can all talk running. So, you know, I think it's it's easier for them to just kind of make it happen as opposed to a professional who a lot of times, and you, you know, this professionals can also be extremely engaging, but they also get interviewed a lot. And I think with that comes some rote answers and, you know, they get asked you know, a lot of the same questions a lot of times. And those questions get asked a lot because they're important. But I feel like with the amateur running sect, you have these people who just, you know, are so excited to talk running and it really shines through. Yeah. I mean, Obviously, I like to interview professional runners, but sometimes they can tend to be a little bit more buttoned up. You know, they got to make sure they're they've got sponsors that are that are looking at what they're doing. And so sometimes I feel like there's a little bit more of a guard up, um, but not always, you know. No, no, not always. In fact, I loved your shoot. I still remember the first interview you did with Jordan Hesse. Yeah, I thought it was so, so good. I was like. For me, I don't know if you have this experience. When I think back to like different podcasts or audiobooks I've listened to, I can like remember where on the road I listened to them yeah. as a runner. Uh-huh. So like I'm picturing myself going up a hill listening to that podcast. And I was floored by how open and honest and frank she was in that conversation, considering, you know, this is someone who again has, is at the top of her field. And oftentimes, you know, this is isn't a running thing, but you see interviews with, you know basically the best people in any profession, usually they are a bit more buttoned up than other other people. Yeah. And with Jordan, she's not, she doesn't make the rounds as much as other pros do. Um, And also with her training with Alberto and and whatnot, like I just wondered how open she would be. And honestly, actually she was like, Oh, I listened to your show. And I'm like, Oh, okay then. Well, you know what this is all about, which was really like, you know, anytime, a professional runner tells me they've listened to my podcast. I'm like, Oh, that's, I'm honored. You know? Um, I remember that point in the conversation. Cause it was oh, did so she say endearing it in the conversation. I don't remember. I'll try now. She, I can't remember, but, but I, I do remember when she, when she told you that she listened to the show, Okay, it was so endearing because you were genuinely shocked <laughs> <I know laughs> on the air. So I was like, Oh, isn't that like, it was really heartwarming. She um, might've said that on pay. I bet she, cause she stayed on for extra Patreon. She might've said that on her Patreon part. Cause okay. I can't remember though, but yeah, I know it was super sweet for sure. Um, okay, Matt. So let's introduce you to everybody though, because I don't, not everybody listening might not know about your podcast. And if they're not listening, they should go find it. The rambling runner. But what's your story with with your own running? Because you interview amateur runners a lot, but as an amateur runner yourself, maybe you're not getting interviewed as much. So let's do it here. 
Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, I mean, my first love was basketball. So I was a, I played basketball in high school and I played basketball in college and I coached college basketball for seven years really? as well. I did. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I really loved it. That, that for me, that was, that was the heart of it. But my running really started, you know, it started pretty early as well. I mean, my, my dad was a two pack a day smoker and he gave up smoking when I was in middle school, roughly sixth grade or so. And when he gave that up, he picked up running because he, pl- he played football in college, was a really active guy and really prided himself on his athleticism. So when he gave up smoking, he was like, all right, I need to get back into it. So he basically tried to trade like one addiction for another. And, you know, I'm trying to frame it that way in his head, but that's basically what happened. So he started doing local 5Ks and he shed a bunch of weight and he was looking really good. And I just wanted to go along, frankly. And so I like went to a bunch of 5Ks with him, but it really didn't go farther than that. And, you know, high, you know, middle school cross country as well, and in high school I did you know, a little bit of cross country and a little bit of track, but really my amateur running didn't pick up until after college. I um, kind of mid 20s I, I picked it up just as a sport to get into because I missed not being part of a team. So I joined the local Ronald McDonald House Running Club here in Providence, Rhode Island, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's run by uh, these, just these powerhouses in the running community here, Bob and Ann Rothenberg. They both coached at Brown University for decades and, you know, you know big influences around here. And it was, oh my God, Lindsay, I, I paid $50 for the year to get coached by them. It was a joke. Wow. <laughs> it was like, they were so experienced. And here I was like a complete know nothing. And, you know, they're doing track, like in-person track workouts, you know, daily, I'm sorry, weekly schedules for running and all this stuff. So I really got into it. And then once our, you know, we have two, we have two little ones. Once our kids were born, my, you know, I kind of faded a little bit and then I'm, you know, kind of back into it in the past few years. How old are your kids? So they are uh, four and seven. They both just had their birthdays in the last, you know, two months or so. Is it girl, boy? Yeah, so my daughter Callie just turned seven, so she'll be entering second grade. Oh my god, second grade already! And my son, my son Grayson is four. Okay, so he'll be going into pre-K. Okay, so our oldest are the exact same age because my oldest just turned seven as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a funny age, right? Because like like one minute you're like, wow, they're really getting it, (laughs) and boy, the tide can change quick. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like he just turned seven, but like we literally just had like a massive temper tantrum like a couple days ago. And I was like, what is this? You're not supposed to do this anymore. How is this happening still? Uh, Part of that, I think, is his personality. I don't necessarily think my my next in line will be throwing temper tantrums when they're seven, but I could be eating my words later on. So I'll just hold that. (laughs) I'm knocking on wood for you, Lindsay, because I certainly don't wish that upon you. Um, okay. So where did you meet your wife? So my wife and I met on a blind date actually. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it's funny. It was like a blind date that was two years in the making. We had some mutual friends and things like that. Um, but one of us was always seeing somebody and, and then, um, ultimately she like didn't want to go on a date with me because I was a basketball (laughs) coach and like the last guy she dated was a basketball coach and she didn't want any part of that. So um, eventually it ended up happening, which was great. And, you know, we obviously things worked out well, so on and so forth. But it was funny. You'll love this, Lindsay. So we were dating for a while. And it was like, I think it was four months after our first date. 
um, we were going out and like she also I noticed that she had uh, was going out with, with curly hair. And I'm like, oh, Holly, I haven't seen you have curly hair since our first date. And she goes, oh, yeah, I always made sure I straightened it for the ones I cared about. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Well, I'm glad I got over that hump. But <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, all right, I guess. All so, right, but that, that, that proved to you that after the first one, she cared because she started straightening it. Yeah, there you go. See, yeah. So, you know, I guess, I guess like, 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 like many things in my life, it was like a underdog story. I love you it. Know, coming, coming from behind and making it happen. How long have you guys been married? Oh, shoot. So we uh, were coming up on 10 years. Okay. Actually. Okay. Now, and she stays home with the kids, right? No. So she is a special education teacher um, here in Rhode Island. So she teaches uh, special ed elementary school uh, in an inclusion school, which means that she doesn't take the kids out of the classroom. Yeah. She kind of shuttles back and forth between second and third grade, working with kind of two groups of kids while they're in the classrooms. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's, you know, she's a badass. She, she just like everyone else in her family, you know, has endless energy and, you know, she, she works it. That's for sure. Um, it, it really is something to behold. And, and it's funny. And she comes home and she is exhausted. And I work like a desk job. So I'm just like, oh, I'm feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. What's your desk job? So I am a fundraiser. I actually have been ever since I left, left coaching. So I'm a fundraiser for a local college, uh, Johnson Wales University. So I'm the head of their athletic fundraising. Okay. Is that hard? Because I think fundraising in general is hard. Yeah, it can be it's, it's, for sure. Uh, it's also a mindset. And it's one of those things where, you know, like anything, it's about like the paradigm. It, it's basically, it's like it's the paradigm shifting moments you can have with so many things in life. And for me, with fundraising, it was shifting out of you're not asking people for money. Mm. Right. I mean, some people can go about that. Most people can't. Um, it's just not something that, that speaks to a lot of people. But if you ask somebody to support something that you care about and that you think they care about and that will impact others, that's a totally different ballgame. I mean, you know this, yeah. right? I mean, you've raised money for so many things on your platforms. And I was just listening to your podcast that you just released last week with Jenny Simpson. And I think the sponsor or someone that you at least you're working with, the Susan, uh, the oh, Susan Coleman Foundation. Yeah, like you're working with them because it's something you care about. And again, it's about, you know, you want to raise money technically, but it's about supporting something that people are positively predisposed to um, wanting to contribute to in some fashion. And if you frame it like that, it helps them. And frankly, it helps the fundraiser as well, because you know, you're not always met with um, overwhelming positive response. Yeah, I'm reading the book. Have you read the book Thirst by um, Scott Harrison? No, I have. I've, I've, I swear I've listened to like 87 podcasts that With he's him. been on. I know. Yes. I know. But I haven't read the book. I want to interview him for not for I'll have another, but for another little project that I'm working on. And um, I want to get him on my list of people to interview. And I'm like, man, he's been on all the big shows like Dax and all these massive shows that I've listened to. But I'm and I I feel like this pr little project I'm working on might you know, I feel like the bigger the person is, if, if your platform's not big, they're going to be like, oh, I'm not going to give it the time. But the one thing in his book that I really like, and this relates to your fundraising efforts, it's like he just asks for things so boldly and that's how he gets stuff done. Like that's how he has 
literally his organization has provided water for thousands upon thousands of kids that don't have access to water because he boldly asks for things. Yeah, that's exactly right. And also people like that, you know, doesn't, you could look at Adam Braun at Pencils of Promise the exact same way is that they, they started somewhere. Yeah. Right. So, you know, with Scott Harrison, also he used to be like a club promoter. Right. Yeah. And like he didn't like, he didn't become a club promoter by just by asking like Jay-Z to show up. He had to build, <laughs> he had to start somewhere. And, you know, I think those kind of people can appreciate the hustle, which is funny that you're, yeah, it's not funny, but it's interesting that you're reading that book. Cause I know you speak all the time about this, about yeah. trying to have like empowerment over, you know, making, you know, big things happen within a small business setting. You know, it's definitely kind of like telling your own story, but also in a way, like you like to talk about the subject and also kind of like, it's almost like something that you not only care about, but it's only something you need to hear. And I feel the same way. So I'm always excited to hear you talk about it. And it's so true that you need to be, um, you know, forthright and provide people the opportunity to say no instead of saying no for them, which right. is often what happens. Cause you kind of say like, Oh, they won't be interested. And, and so you just, so you just pass on giving them the opportunity to turn you down, which is important because if you just say no for them, well then you're never going to get anywhere. Well, and that's the thing too, is kind of just like being okay. Like not necessarily being okay with being told no, but like not letting that like hurt how you're going to pursue things in the future because people are going to say no. And also you don't need to be embarrassed if someone says no, like that's okay. And you actually might ask like four more times in the future. And one of those times they might say yes. So I think that's kind of a learning experience too. And, and something that, that uh, some people struggle with for their, you know, the entirety of their lives, like being scared that they're going to be told no. So everybody listening, don't be scared, go ask for what you want. Right. And the other thing, too, and this is something that I've learned through fundraising, is that there isn't a period after the word no. There's a comma. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like no comma. Not right now. Or no comma. I don't think that's quite right. Or no comma. Maybe there's another way of doing this. And even though that second part of the sentence might be implied, yeah. you know, it's, it's important to get there because oftentimes that's where the growth happens is you say, okay, well, this didn't work, but why? And maybe there's another way of making it work. Or maybe if I approach it this way, or maybe if I pivot a little bit of what I'm doing, I won't lose my core audience, but I can gain this whole other faction of opportunities. And I think that that's, that's an important thing. Again, I'm saying this as someone who needs to hear it. I don't you know, necessarily practice that 24-7. I need to be reminded of this all the time. But I think it's an important thing to remember because, frankly, Anytime you want to do something really big and important, of course, there's going to be resistance. So that's just implied. It's not something to, to chafe against necessarily, something to work around. Yeah. So tell me this. When you started Rambling Runner, when did you start that show? On July 14th, 2017. Okay. So you started your show. It's been basically two years almost. Right. You're about to celebrate an anniversary. Do you celebrate anniversaries? Do you celebrate like hundredth episodes? Like what, how do you do, how do you do that? Cause I used to always be like 25, 50, 100, you know, <laughs> and I'm coming up on 200 and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to do anything. And kind of every year my, I don't even know the date. It was like April something. I don't know exactly, but I, I kind of 
don't make a big deal about it? Do you think there's importance to that? And do you do it? That's a good question. So la- I did one for the one year. Okay. Was it the one year or the 100th episode? Now I'm like forgetting. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was something like that. It might, it, shoot, shoot, I think it might have coincided, frankly. But I, th- I basically I interviewed myself. In a way, that sounds really stupid. Did you do it or did (laughs) someone else interview you? No, I basically did it. So I basically (laughs) said, all right, here are like the six things that I've learned from the show. And I tried to set like context. Like here's what someone said. And this is why I thought it was really important. Okay. Right. So I did that move. Um, That was because um, I I wanted to get this other guest, (laughs) a much more important guest than myself, on the show for the one year. Yeah. Um, That didn't end up working out, which is totally fine. Are you allowed to Um, say who it was? Sure, why not? It was actually it was Kara. She listen. It was Kara Goucher. She might not even know that I tried to reach out. You know, okay. she's a hard person to reach. Yeah. But um, anyway, so I did that instead. Um, I won't be doing anything this year because I have something else that just came up that I'm so excited to to promote and get out in the world. So I'm probably not going to do anything around the two year for Rambling Runner just because of this other venture that I'm really excited about. But. Um, I do think about it for sure, because if for no other reason, then it's so, you know, the, the days go by quick, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, it's been two years. Like I would have never guessed that if you hadn't put a calendar in front of my face. Oh, for sure. The weeks go by quick. I'm like, I got all these things I want to do. I do, I do work like two to three days a week, really, you know, max other days, I'm, the other days I'm with my kids. And so you like schedule two things and you're like, well, that week's gone and done. It's, I oftentimes tell my husband, I'm like, man, if I had like, if I actually worked Monday through Friday, I feel like I would be so much more efficient because something I want to get done on Monday isn't waiting till the next Monday, you know? Um, yeah. Okay. We're going to get to your exciting thing you're doing, but before we get to that, I want to ask you a couple more things about rambling runner. Okay. So in the beginning, obviously you were reaching out to people to come on your show. Who was your first guest? Was it Shawana White? It was. Okay. It was Shawana White. Okay, she was great. I'm going to have her on my show eventually. We've. I have her email, and I just haven't made it happen because that's the kind of person I am. I'm. I like. I make a goal or to reach out to someone and get them on the show, and then like months later, I'm like, yes, I'm still planning to do it. I just haven't yet. So Shawana, it's going to happen for sure. And I reached out to her. She didn't reach out to me. I've just. I just love her and want to have her on. Um, but. So you reach out to people, but then I'm assuming, and you don't obviously don't have to say names because that could embarrass people, but like, do you now have people reach out to you all the time and say, Hey, I'm an everyday runner. That would be great for fit for your show. Yeah. Both of those things happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So I reached out in the beginning, you know, solely. Um, and now I'll definitely, I'll definitely have people reach out and then, um, you know, that's certainly worthwhile because I don't know all the people, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and everyone has, has interesting stories, but sometimes it's just a matter of like, where does it fit in the arc of the show? And I don't want necessarily to be like too repetitive on certain themes or topics and stuff like that. So sure. sometimes you have to try to get some sort of coherent thread line going mm-hmm. with everything. But with that said, you know, you get, you get a little bit of both. And sometimes all people reach out who I was like, shoot, man, I was planning on asking you anyway, this yeah. is great. And yeah. then, you know, then you have like some, maybe some corporate guests will look, will ask, and you're like, oh, ah, yeah. you know, like <laughs> that's not maybe not the best fit, but I appreciate it. Um, you know, the, the most interesting one I had, and maybe they would contacted you as well. We oh, haven't probably. talked about this offline. Okay, tell is, me. <laughs> is we there was this um, now it was was it Denise Austin? It was like she was like this fitness 
like the nineteen, like late eighties, early nineties. I know 90s. who you're talking about. I don't. I don't. I maybe have had a pitch from her. I'm not very good at at weeding through everything. Yeah, it was like you know, like things like she was doing like the step aerobics, and she was like <laughs> ESPN two. Remember, like back oh, in I know the day, exactly like they always had is. that. Yeah, so it's so like she reached out and was like, "I really appreciate this. I don't think it's the best fit." <laughs> but I mean, you know, like nothing against what she's doing. I mean, she she, she was on ESPN two for like a decade. So what what the hell am I going to say? But it was like one of those weird moments where you're like, I can't believe she's reaching out to me. I can't believe I'm saying no. But this is all the whole thing was so bizarre. Yeah. No. I. I you know what? Was it her or a PR? It was a PR person. Oh, right? it was. Oh, it was, for her, it was her PR person yeah. for sure. But it was like so funny. I was like, I don't think this is a great fit. She's like, Oh, she's listened to it. I'm like, I, I, that might not even been true. But I was like, I don't. Oh, ah, they pass. all say that. Like, I'm a big fan of your show, and like, you're like, Oh, this is all copy and paste. Like, you know, if I ever were to hire like someone to do PR for me, which that's not a bad thing. Like, at some point, if you want to grow and market your business and market your show, like, it's okay to have PR people. But you better be customizing those messages. You better not be copy and pasting the exact same thing you sent to Matt Chittam to me and to every other running podcast, you know? <laughs> oh, I know. I, it's I, it's so, just like not – it leaves a really bad taste in my mouth when I get those. And I'm sure people listening right. who are in this field like totally relate. Yeah, for sure. It actually reminds me. I, when I was coaching basketball, uh, the first four years I was also working – in college admissions at the school. So basically it was like having two full-time jobs. It was, the whole thing was nuts. But I would work, I would read college applications all winter and you would get this all the time. <laughs> You'd have people Same thing. you know copy and paste stuff like I've always wanted to go to, you know, Oberlin College. And you're like, "Well, I'm reading apps for Roger Williams." So I don't <laughs> think that's going to be a great fit. But, you know, like again, you know exactly why that happened or how it happened. And shoot, you know, full disclosure I am the worst at this. You know, not that I send copy paste emails all the time, but I'm so bad at proofreading. It's a joke. Oh, so, I'm the worst. Like, My grandma's so I, awful. I, I feel yeah. their pain on some level, but it always makes me chuckle at the same time. Oh, for sure. The um, the first one of the first people that Denise Austin type emails I got, I remember her name's Lori Harder, and I just looked her up on Instagram to see what she's doing now. But I remember it was it was my show was still super new. Like I'm talking like 15 episodes new. And I got this pitch from her PR people and it was like very copy and paste. I was already seeing that. And um, also, this is what the companies do. They say, Lori can speak to you about and they give you like five topics she's an expert on. And like, these are the things she wants to talk about. And I'm like, oh, see, I don't think you understand how my show works because that's not the kind of show this is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I remember I, I said no, no thank you, even though she had like all these, you know, a lot of big following. But now I'm looking at her Instagram. She's at 242,000 followers. Am I saying that right? 242K, 242,000 followers. All right. I, I think she that's... was like in the 20s or 30s when she reached out. But, so that was pretty substantial. You might have, you might have missed on that one. Well, no, I still don't <laughs> I'm think. Just kidding. Looking at her Instagram, I'm like, I, she's still not a, the right fit for my show. But I'm like, um, her PR. My point is, her PR person must have been doing something right because look, look where she's at now. <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people that reach out to me, um, like you said, are people who follow the show and they're runners. And they're so sweet about it. They're like, I have no idea right. if I'd be a good guest. But yes. hey, you know, like, here's what's going on. And like, 
some of them have been really good guests. Yeah. So, hey, you, know, you, you never know. And I always reach out. I tell people all the time, like, if you know a good guest, let me know. Because, again, I only know so many people. Um, and, you know, you, oftentimes what makes a good guest are stories that probably aren't out there for right. public consumption. So even if I know somebody in the digital sense, I might not know, like, the thing or two things or three things that would really make an episode pop. So I always like, I always encourage suggestions. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. And, and all of this talk that I'm saying is like totally just about those big names that are like trying to get their name out there. Not, (laughs) not wanting to tell like, you know, a really fun running story. Not at all. It's just those, those PR pitches that leave a bad taste in your mouth. Okay. So how long have we, I'm trying to think I was on your podcast right after I had my fourth. So it must've been last September. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. And then, so how long have we been like friend, like podcast friends? <laughs> I think it's a little, a little over a year because I shoot, maybe it's even going back to two years because I was a fan of your show when I started my show. Okay. Because when I started my show, the whole thing was like, all right, like Carrie and Lindsay and Allie and Tina, like they got the pro runner podcast thing done. Like I don't, there doesn't need to be another person trying to get, you know, the the, the elite runners on their podcast. Like y'all were doing such a good job already. I was like, I don't need to enter that field. Like it's already, they already got it locked down. Like that's, they're doing a great job. I listened to all their shows. So for me, it was like, that's why I started something that focused on amateur runners. So I was certainly well aware of your show at that time and you were doing such a good job. So I think I probably was messaging you right from the jump. Um, just like, you know, Hey, great job or whatever. And then, you know, you, you, you being you, you're always super responsive and stuff like that. And, you know, at the same time, like you were so helpful to me when I was getting my show ready, because like, I would just like peg ideas off you like, Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about that? And you didn't shoo me away, which I always appreciated. Hey friends, I am breaking in real quick to let you know that if you're looking for extra episodes for me, you can find that over on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. You support the show for three, five, ten dollars whatever you desire a month and you get access to bonus episodes with my husband Glenn with returning guests and also extended conversations with people like Jenny Simpson and Kara Goucher. I want to give a big shout out to everybody who's already doing so over there, including Matt Chittum, who actually gives it a shout out at the end of the podcast, which I was super pleasantly surprised by. So if you're looking for ways to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. And then the other thing, if you aren't subscribed, make sure you're subscribed. And if you haven't already done so and you've been enjoying the show, I would personally appreciate it so very much if you would consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen, as that's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. And I'm just going to say this as a PSA in general, not just about my podcast. If there's something someone's been creating, a newsletter, a blog, a book, a podcast, whatever it is, if there is something you've consumed that someone has created, don't just leave a rating and review on my podcast. Go help somebody else out as well. Um, I'm actually... I ever since my sister wrote a book and I started this podcast, I've realized how important it is to leave ratings and reviews. And whenever I read a book, no matter whose book it is, as long as I like it or enjoy it, I always make sure to go leave a review because I know how important that is to the author. So here's my nudge to go leave a rating and review. 
for this show if you're listening and you enjoy it. Uh, and then maybe pick like two other, two or three other shows or books that you've read um, and do that as well. All right, friends. Thank you for listening to my little spiel. And I hope you enjoy the rest of my conversation with my friend, Matt Chittum. So then it's just been probably a month or two ago when you told me about this new idea that you had. And I remember so clearly um, you were like, can you take a call? And I said, sure. I'm with my kids, though. So I'm like pushing my kids on the swing and we're chatting. Um, disclaimer, like if anybody wants just a random call, there's probably going to be kids in the background. Um, and you told me this idea and I remember being so excited for you, but also I was in this like lull in my own life and I was thinking, man, that's a really good idea. I kind of wish I would have thought about that idea. So let's- well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, that, that, that for me, it was one of those moments, like we all have ideas, right? Like a million ideas every day and every once in a while you get this idea that like You're gives like, you goosebumps. Is yeah, this yeah, is great. It's like Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this beautifully in um in her book um Big Magic. She's, yes, Big Magic, which Such I've listened to book. like I've listened to I think like two dozen times on Audible. It's, okay. it's so darn good. That shouldn't surprise and, me. I feel like anybody in the creative space, if you haven't, if you are in the creative space and you have not read that book or listened to it, take notes. I'll put it in the show notes. Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert. Carry on. It's so good. And she reads it on Audible, which makes it even better because her voice is just is perfect. Anyway, she talks about this a lot. Um, and I just had one of those moments. I was like, all right, I'm sitting there. It was a Friday morning. And I was thinking like I was just like I was scrolling through. No, it was Thursday morning because Friday morning or it was Thursday morning before you put out your episode. And we have other friends who put out their episodes on Fridays. Or It was one of those things where like before the shows I like to listen to had come out. And I'm scrolling through. I like refresh my podcast app. I'm like, ah, I wasn't getting too jazzed about anything. Mm-hmm. Again, I might have just been in a funk. This is not a reflection on anyone's shows. But oh, I get like I'm that like, all the time. I'm like, there's nothing to listen to, even though there's right, a time. Right, right. There's nothing to watch on Netflix. There's only fifty thousand shows. Right. Yeah. So it was like that moment. So, and I'm like, you know what I need? I want a show that like is like hard knocks, but for running. So if people don't know hard knocks, it's like the NFL show on HBO where they basically go inside the preseason of an NFL team and you see all the things that are happening behind the scenes for this team, all the stuff you would never ever see um, in a very private sporting world. I'm like, that's what I want. And then I was like, Oh shoot, that's a great idea. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> at first I was like, you know, I wonder who would be good. I wonder who could do that. And I was thinking of, ide- of people I could pitch it to, to get them to do it. And then I was like, shoot man maybe i could do that you do it yeah so i'm like all right well i don't know if i can do it i don't know if i have the connections i don't interview elite runners and that's who i'd want to have on the show and so i'm like well let me just give it a try so that night so it was a friday night i then went online and started messaging people um elite runners to be to basically test driving the idea on them and see if they'd be interested and to my shock like 95% of the people said yes. <laughs> like that's, that's high. I think it was like 80% of the people said yes. Like one person didn't get back to me and one person like hemmed and hawed, but ultimately decided it wasn't the best fit just from a traveling perspective. And I'm like, I, in my head, I'm like, I was going to follow four people. All of a sudden I had eight people in like by the next week. It's and so awesome. I couldn't believe it. And all of a sudden it went from idea to like, oh man, this is real. <laughs> like really fast. Okay. So tell everybody what it is. 
Okay, so it's called, uh, the podcast is called Road to the Olympic Trials. So the idea is we're going to follow eight runners, four elite men and four elite women as they progress through their training and summer, fall and winter races to get ready for the Olympic Marathon Trials, which will be, which will be held on February 29th, 2020. An intimate look at everything that they're doing to prepare to have the race of their lives and the goal for me was not only to find some of the best runners in the country, but to have as many different kinds of storylines as possible. Just from a narrative perspective, I was really excited to get people who were going through different things and for planning for different things and things like that. Yeah, because are, have you? can I mention some of the names or is that all? Let's do it. Okay, so we'll go through all the names. But yeah, one thing I love about it is you do have some people who are competing as full-time professional runners like a Jared Ward, like a Kellen Taylor. But I love that you have Roberta Groner is a podcast favorite over here. Like she's like a returning guest. And I know that a lot of my listeners adore her. And I, so I love that you have people like Roberta too, who are representing a working mom of three who is competing at a level that like, I can't even imagine competing at. I mean, she's, She's broke 2.30 in the marathon, working as a full-time nurse and a mother of three. So let's go down your list of people that you've got lined up for the show. Right. So I, how you grouped it is exactly how I group it. So you have Jared Ward and Kellen Taylor at the top. The reason I say that is because not only do they have some of the best times um, in the country, you know, with Jared and, you know, Jared ran 209 in Boston and Kellen ran 224 grandmas. But they also have the Olympic standard and they're, you know, in the running and marathon community, they're very well known. Yep. Right. So, you know, so so I was so excited to see that they were going to, you know, pull back the curtain and show everybody what they're going to be doing. Kellen's been doing that for a while because she's part of Nazlete and they like to do that. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, so I was really excited that she'd be on anyway, just to you know provide some audio context to what people can you know read and synthesize on Final Surge because you can actually see all of her training runs on there. So then you have someone like Roberta Groner, who's you know, you described it very well. You know she's also a masters runner. So while she's preparing for the Olympic trials in February, she also wants to break Dina Castor's American Masters marathon record. So she has two goals that she's planning around. Who is this? This is Roberta Groner. Roberta, okay. I, did, I, yeah. don't, I don't know that I've heard her speak on that. That's exciting. Yeah, well, tune in, baby. She's going to talk all about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm so, excited. Yeah, so I'm really excited. So that's like, so she has not just one, but two goals, which is not uh, dissimilar from a lot of other people because those three individuals are the only ones of the eight that have the Olympic standard, which is the other caveat here yeah, yeah. of someone, say, like, Parker Stinson, who's also going to be on the show, you know, he has the U.S. He has the American 25K record, right? This is a nine-time All-American Oregon. He's been an unbelievable runner ever since he was in high school. This guy has been at the top of the field for a long time, and he's someone who feels strongly that he could place in the top three at the Olympic Trials. What's his PR? And his PR is 214. He hasn't put it together yet for the marathon, but he's run 62 flat for the half. Okay. So, you know, he has the pedigree and he's run really, really well at some of the shorter distances, but he's just had a couple of marathons that didn't quite go his way. So he feels he can be in the top three. But then the question becomes, OK, well, what if you're top three and you don't have the Olympic standard? So you have to plan accordingly to then make sure you maximize the fall to get the Olympic standard the fall, yep. so that you can, if you get top three, 
proceed to the Summer Olympics right. and not just you know qualify for it in name only. And just so everybody listening knows, we say that because Atlanta is like a not known to be a fast course. Like it's really hilly, so the likelihood of someone who's a two fourteen marathon runner to go qualify get the standard at the trials is not likely. So like best bet, do it on a flat course in the fall. That's exactly right. And with a lot of these, and you see this all the time in various races, that if you don't have a rabbit, you know, at, at any distance, yeah. basically above like middle distance on the track, the race is going to be inherently slower because people are going to be jockeying for place and not caring as much about time. Even if you're running on a fast course, you'd see that. Never mind the, the Atlantic course, which is anything but a fast course. So you have stuff like that. You have, you know, or someone like Sarah Bishop, who was, I think, one of your best guests ever. I, I recently love Sarah met Bishop. her. Did you know that I met her in person? She I did. Like, I saw that. I was excited for you. I was okay. Side note on Sarah Bishop. I was so confused because I kept seeing her name pop up in all these Indianapolis race results. And I knew she was coming to Indy women's last year, but I was like, okay. And then she, but then she did the Fort Ben half, which was like, well, it's like, I thought they renamed it because Monumental owns it now. But anyway, she did that like a couple weeks later. And I was like, man, she's coming all the way back to Indy. I didn't realize that she had moved to Ohio. Cause I, then I saw her at the monumental mile a few weeks ago and I'm like, she traveled all the way from Washington DC to do a mile race. <laughs> and so then we talked and she's like, Oh no, I'm like two hours away now. So yeah, I love meeting people from the show. Anyway, carry on. I just thought that was funny. Side note. No, that was great. Show. I was jealous when I saw the pictures. I was like, man, I wish I was there. Well, I, I mean, saw never her mind from the afar and I was like, I think that's Sarah Bishop. Yeah. So Sarah, Sarah's won the Marine Corps marathon. She's won the, the air force marathon last fall you know she she is just she's a serial racer she's the most effervescent personality you've ever seen in your life and last fall she basically ran a race every weekend for like two and a half months and um at the culmination of that she actually ended up getting injured and what happened was you know she's just not someone for staying for standing still so in january she was okay to pick up the bike you know so you know it's where she was, she wasn't gonna be running on the roads in the middle of winter. So she hops on the trainer, her, you know, her husband is a cyclist. So she hops on the, the wind trainer in the basement. She has the first one. And then in, in true Sarah Bishop, like this is like straight out of her personality, then decides, I think five minutes into her first trainer bike <laughs> ride that I'm going to do a, and I'm going to do a triathlon. And then at the end of the ride, she's like, I'm doing an Ironman. It's like you're injured. Like, what are you doing? But you no, know, this is just how she rolls literally and figuratively. And, you know, so she said, Hey, I'm going to do an Ironman triathlon. So she signed up for a whole slew of them. And she did the Chattanooga 70.3. It was her first triathlon ever. And she finished second amateur and almost won it. She Crazy. got beat by like under a minute. And she, you know, so she earned her, I think she, I think she earned her pro card. She, she like is going to go to the, the world championships. She earned a place there. Uh, she just did another uh, 70.3 this past weekend. Oh, she, she did, did even, yeah, she did even better than the first time. I she's didn't know like, that she did. She's like really, really good. And now she's looking at potentially being a full-time professional triathlete. Doing that and like, instead. Interesting. This person hadn't ridden her bike outside until 25 days before the first, before the race. That's crazy. Okay. And we talk all about that experience because it's hysterical. But yeah, so like, so you have someone like that who's going to be, you know, going to the Olympic trials in a very different way than other people, but also is a fascinating personality and certainly a tremendous athlete. 
for sure. Okay, so we have Kellen Taylor, Roberta Groner, Sarah Bishop. Who's your fourth woman? So fourth woman is Stephanie Flippin. So she's the one. Oh, yeah. Per- so she's the one person out of eight who is going to be doing things a little bit different. So okay. she's hoping to qualify for the Olympic trials. Okay. So this she fall. is looking for her OTQ. She's going to be doing it at Monumental in the in the fall. That's so right, right. near your neck of the woods. She sent me a message about coming to Monumental. Okay, that's exciting. Yeah, so she is a um, – I should say, she's not Stephanie Flippin. She's Dr. Stephanie Flippin. She's a foot and ankle surgeon. Her and her husband, Mitchell – own their private practice in Colorado. She's a um, surgeon. She's a, yeah, she's she, just, just a, it's a little thing on the side, just a small little hobby <laughs> while she's not running. Stephanie, and, I didn't know you were a surgeon. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she's doing that. And she's a, uh, basically she got into running doing ultras and trails. Mm-hmm. So she really started digging into road running like a year ago okay. or so. Okay. So like, so and she she got started getting better really quickly and then this past uh, year at the Birmingham Wine 10K, it was a torrential rainstorm. Her team, so she works out with McCurdy trained. Um, I just, it was in the, it was in the spring. I'm sorry. And uh, they went down to Birmingham and it was a torrential rainstorm and it's a you know really high profile 10K road 10K and she finishes sixth in it wow. and it was like oh hey now so you know her marathon PR. You know, it's still quite a ways from 245, but she certainly has the talent. She's hoping to get there. And if she doesn't get it at Monumental, it looks like she'll be trying again in the winter before Atlanta. So following her should be interesting as well. What's her PR? I think it's 253. Um, now I should have this written down while we're talking about it. I, yeah. I can't remember. She, 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 she's a ways away from it. But no, I'm looking she hasn't, at her profile. Yeah, but she has no. Oh, you know what? Maybe it's three oh five. Three oh five. Yeah, she's been ways away from the Olympic trials qualifying, but it's part of it's because she hasn't done a marathon at her fittest. Right. Well, in her half marathon PR is one twenty three, which is a big, which is way faster, in my opinion, than a three oh five marathon. So right. Yeah. In that one twenty three, she set the course record. Yeah. So that was a hard course that she did that on as well, and um, and then there 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 are other there are mitigating circumstances um to her her cim performance which you'll hear all about in her episode as well well and so she also has done 400 milers so i think i'm gonna have to have her on my show too just so you know but my interview will be totally different <laughs> there you go i promise there you go um, we'll do it at the same time we'll do we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll both interview, interview it at monumental and we'll just air it separately on each of our shows yeah so okay so we've run down the, the females Kellen Taylor, Roberta Groner, Sarah Bishop, and Stephanie Flippin. Okay, who are we've got Jared Ward, Parker Stinson. Who are the other two guys? So the other two um, are John Ranieri and Lou Serafini. So Lou Serafini is a New Englander. He lives up in Boston. He works as the community manager at Tracksmith. Mm-hmm. So this guy, he ran a Boston college. Um, he didn't quite have the college experience that he was hoping for in terms of his race results. He kind of stepped away from running for a little bit. And then after working at a couple um, couple of running stores, he kind of caught the bug again and has run at a lot of different distances. And then last year, kind of rededicated himself to the track and broke the four-minute mile. Okay. Which was the first time he'd done that and really was kicking butt. He has also uh, – he finished first at the Brooklyn Half this past year. He finished sixth at the U.S. Championship Half Marathon in Pittsburgh. 
Um, he just raced grandmas, and it did not go the way that he had hoped. Oh, and we talked geez. all about it in his first episode. So we okay. basically talked three days after grandmas. He had had a great buildup. He was really looking forward to it. But, hey, man, we all, we've all been there, and that's like the heartbreaking part of a marathon is that – if you have a bad day in the marathon, it's not like having a bad day in the 5K. It's like you got to wait a long time for that next one. And, you know, so he's there. He has, you know, he's qualified he's for the Olympic trials. Yep. But he, someone who, you know, he wants to put it all together. He's done it at the shorter distances. And he's really is a fixture in the amateur running uh, community up here in Boston. He's doing workouts all the time as a coach with, like, a lot of group runners. Oh, cool. He He looks like a young guy. Is he young? He is. Yeah. Okay. He, um, I'm just looking through his pictures. I'm like, Oh, I think I might be like 10 years older than him. <laughs> <laughs> that makes two of us. And of course I love that his name is Lou because I have a child named Lou and I, it's like the best name ever. Next. Who's your fourth? Last one, John Ranieri. So John, um, hasn't had the career arc that he thought he would have, but he had a race last year that really put him on the national stage. Um, he started working with James McCurdy a little while ago, and they were been friends in Connecticut for a long time. And he finally, you know, kind of bit the bullet, got a coach, and he just took off. So last year at the New York City half, it was a stacked field. It was just loaded. There were, I think, 30 runners in it that were like household names. It was it was an incredible field, um, one of the best fields of the of the year, and John ran unbelievably well. He finished ninth, and wow. he finished he finished above a lot of people that a lot of people know. He ran one hundred two fifty one in that yes. race, and you know he was really really excited. And things were progressing really well for him, um, and he was you know gearing up for Boston, and then he came crashing back down. Boston didn't go well for him. But he lives out in Flagstaff, and we're excited to see what he can put together because this is another guy who has a ton of talent, just hasn't put it together. And this is why I think this show can be fascinating because we can follow all sorts of people, right? The Jared Wards and Kellen Taylors of the world who, you know, who just feel like, hey, I just have to be my best. And if I'm at my best, you know, I can compete with anybody. And you have people like Lou and John who are probably saying to themselves, you know, like, I don't know what I'm capable of. I haven't had my best in a marathon yet, but I have done well at these shorter distances. What can I do? Can I be like a sleeper pick? And that would be really fascinating to see. Like, hey, what if they have this unbelievable race in Atlanta? You have this documentation of what they did to get there. Yeah, I love it. So, okay, let's talk about the structure and the format. You have eight guests all shooting for the Olympic trials. How many episodes each? How often do you release them? How often do you talk to each person? What does it look like? Yeah, exactly. So the first episode is going to come out um, next week. So either Monday or Tuesday, uh, either July 8th or July 9th, depending on – there's actually mitigating circumstances. We might be doing an announcement on the day that it comes out, depending okay. on what's going on with one of the athletes. So I can't give an exact date. It was going to be the 8th, but now it might be the 9th. Wait, either so way, you're telling me because you haven't announced this yet. No, I've announced it, but the athlete who might be the first episode has something that they can't announce oh, until they get an okay. Gotcha. So we might. So so that's why we might have to delay it a day. They we'll mention see. it in the episode, and it has. Yeah, they mentioned something yet. in the episode that they they're like, all right, because I said that we might have to delay the podcast. Sure, and <laughs> so, you already have it teed up for the first one. 
That's exactly right. So it's, it's, it's a race announcement. You know how these go. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so so, so will, you in, will you release one a week, and will it just rotate through the people? Right. So what we're going to do, the first four weeks, there will be two per week. So okay. there will be eight ep- – no, there's, there's eight runners, so eight episodes. They're all kind of like introductory episodes to a point, right? Someone like Kellen Taylor doesn't need the introduction that someone like – Sarah Bishop or John Ranieri might need towards like towards like a broader audience. Sure. So um, the first episode is kind of introduction of sorts. Lou's a little different because we talk a lot about his race at grandma's. And then after that, I'm basically going to be interviewing and all of those interviews are done. So we've already kind of put those, put those to bed. And then what I'll do moving forward, interview each person every four to six weeks or so okay. as they progress through their training. And then that will leave the podcast putting out, an episode, you know, one, you know, basically one or two a week. So it won't be as structured as Rambling Runner has been, but basically once I do them, I'll put them out, which will probably average six to seven episodes per month. Okay. But Matt, you need to pick a day of the week. You're going to do that, right? You're not allowed to just haphazardly do this. Oh man. All right. Well, I, then I'll have, to, I'll have to figure this out. Lindsay, you, you, have, you have any suggestions? I, well, I just think that it's, unsolicited advice for me but I just think it's so important that people know when they're going to get it and if you drop a bonus that's fine but like I think it's so important that people say on Mondays and Friday and Thursdays these I know that I'm going to get something from on this podcast that's fair that's fair and I think that there will be a lot of that the the one caveat is is that I want to make sure I'm interviewing people at the appropriate time sure so say like say the, say the New Haven 20k champs happens sure right yep you got to get a so, quick interview right after that quick interview boom i got we got uh, several people who were in the the roster who can be running that so trying to get that out so i think for the most part it's, what you'll see is, is going to be pretty regular i just don't want to like paint myself into a corner and say this is exactly what it's going to be no the whole time. it's true Th- there's a lot of logistics playing into this that make it difficult for sure no but i think you're exactly right and i'm actually playing with different ideas on ways to get information like that out yeah. that maybe isn't even in the podcast form okay right so like figuring out there's there's, sure. there's several there's several different apps that i'm really excited about that allow you to get information out into the world in a way that's not audio related but also isn't a blog what are they so something that's app related and shareable on different social media accounts so i'm exploring some of those possibilities and i think that there's one in particular i think looks really promising i don't want to say what it is quite yet okay, because okay. i haven't got there sure but but i'm really i am excited about sharing different ways of kind of bridging the gap between episodes okay so next question i know hold on hold on hold on one second okay i need to change rooms because there's a lawnmower oh, like going by it's okay window. i can hear but it's it's not I've had worse than lawnmowers in my podcast episodes. I've had people doing laundry. It's, yeah, it's. I had a guy do the dishes once. Did you ask him to stop? I was too early in the show. This stuff you learn as you go. You just be like, hey, dude, knock it off. Yeah. Like it was one of my first episodes, so I I didn't didn't have the guts. I know. I had one of my early episodes that I never ended up airing. The person um, requested to be on the show, and then she took the call on a busy street outside of a restaurant. And I was like, uh, I was 
I, and it was when I did video, not just audio. And I could see this like little kid in a restaurant, like bopping around. And then I heard like fire trucks going by. And I ultimately never used the episode because I was like, there were so many distractions. There's no way that I conducted a good interview. And honestly, the sound quality was going to be terrible because there'd be like traffic noise everywhere. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, okay. Question. You have on Instagram your personal profile, but you also have a rambling running podcast profile. And I'm just curious about that because oftentimes I have thought, and I'm just going to bring this out to, for the public to hear. I thought, should I have a separate, I'll have another Instagram, but then I just think of how much work it is to just post like a nice picture on Instagram in general of like my regular feed. And I think, I don't know that that's worth the time. So tell me your thought process there. Yeah. So I, I have gone back and forth on this endless times. Yeah, for sure. So, um, basically once I got to the point where I was definitely doing this second show, that's when I made the decision to start a separate Instagram profile with just like my like personal stuff. Okay. Because I was like, all right, if I have like three shows a week coming out, like, First of all, I was like, I was just self-conscious, like no one cares about this stuff anyway. Like, they'd probably be happy that this isn't on their feed. And then I'm like, I'm gonna have doing so much stuff regarding these shows. Like, I don't even think there's gonna be enough room on sure. here. So that's when I made the decision to kind of start the other account. And which is, it's much more like it's not even. I'm keeping my running stuff on the Rambling Runner account because people seem to connect with that. Lord knows why. <laughs> it's like it's one of those things where like, hey, if people like following my running, that's awesome. I never expected that to happen. But that's great. So, like, my, my personal account is much more, like, family stuff and, you know, what's going on, like, with my day. And, um, you know, just, again, I don't think there's a perfect way of doing this. I just thought that, like, hey, might as well just do this on the side um, just in case I want to have a separate account that's not Rambling Runner based. Also, I'm really excited about how the Rambling Runner is going. Yeah. I think that these two podcasts could be really interesting. Um, God, don't tell – don't tell my wife. I have I have other ideas as well. <laughs> so um, so if I felt like if if I felt like I was going to separate them at one point, why not just do it now? Yeah. No, I think you're smart. I mean, th- that's the crux of Instagram. Is like, it's so silly, but like, I know that there are certain people that follow my Instagram that will get a chuckle out of my kids and think they're funny or think they're cute. But there are also people that have like strictly probably followed me because of my podcast or because of the running stuff. And so when I post like a random picture of Russell with cute face paint, they're like, why are you in my feed? Like, I don't want to see this. Who is this kid? Like, what is this? Yeah, no, I hear that. I hear that. I, you know, I definitely aim for authenticity and like this isn't an NPR podcast. Perfection is not the goal. <laughs> you know, like interesting telling interesting stories is the goal. Yeah. So I'm totally fine with it not being perfect. Like I'm not gonna lie, like I definitely appreciate help that people have given me to either help with audio or like video or, you know, just like just different graphic stuff. You know, I definitely appreciate the help. But again, like, you know, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. So I, I kind of try to straddle that line with trying to make it as nice as possible without it being like, you know, like the Sears.com account or something. Oh, for sure. Okay. So what are your biggest goals with Rambling Runner? And like, what is your ultimate dream? My ultimate dream is to build out the Rambling Runner podcast network to a bunch of different podcast feeds that chronicle the lives of fascinating runners. 
and that's purposely vague, right? Like the the Road sure. to the Olympic Trials is a mini series of sorts, right? Like after the Olympic Trials, this thing is going to be over. Whereas Rambling Runner podcast isn't that that you know it has no defined end date, and I think that finding different ways of telling stories, approaching them through different angles. I'm endlessly fascinated by it. And in addition, it's an itch that I like to scratch on my own because yeah. like, that's what I like to hear. So for me, expanding the catalog of different ideas um, from a podcast perspective is, is the best case scenario because I think there's a lot of ways to do it. And um, shoot, there certainly are a lot of runners. Do you envision um, like doing more mini series and just like the rambling runner being the always staying podcast. I think that's probably the case, but it's, it's probably too early to even yeah. to say, yeah. um, you know, I see, I look at something like this. If you listen, if you watch or watch, look at me, if you listen to the ringer, um, podcast network, they do a great job. And one of their, like one of their podcasts is like the rewatchables, which is like, they, they take this movie that we've all seen a million times and they like dissect it. Yep. Right. And it's like yep. this really fun podcast that like started as like they did it once a month and then they did it every it became really popular. And they did it once every two weeks. And now it's like even more popular. So now they do it once a week. And I think there's also room for growth like that where you come up with an idea that you feel really good about. But you also are testing it in a way and you can test it like once a month. And if it if it really you know hits people the right way and there's a core audience, then maybe you can expand it. So I think there's a lot of ways to come at this. But it's still such an, you know, shoot, podcasting is so early and audio is going, isn't going away. Like no. everyone has these, these little devices in their home, their Alexas and all that stuff, the Google Homes. That's the nice thing about audio is that you can be doing something else and be listening to it. In fact, most people are. No one just sit on the couch and just listen to something. So there's endless ways to make this happen. I'm just trying not to limit myself as to what opportunities might be available. I love it. I love it. I'm excited for you. I, I'm just, this is obviously something that I'm really passionate about as well. So it's exciting to see you pursuing that. The only other question I have though about it is, is like, how do you have time? Cause you work full time and you have two kids. It's not like you can like work all day and go home and work some more. Like you have like a good, like three or so hours in there where you like have to be in full on dad mode. This is true. And I don't, I don't yeah. say that negatively. Like you have to, you want to, but I'm just saying like, yeah. you're a busy guy. No, no, no. I have to. Yeah. Like, I want to. And I have to right. be mutually exclusive, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's every night is what it is. It's every night. So do you, you know, so, put the kids to bed and then work more every, every single night? Yeah. Yeah. So How? I'll put my son to bed. My wife puts my daughter to bed. Oh, that's And cute. I mean, to a cent, to a, to a degree. Like I read him his story. She reads her, her uh -huh, story and uh -huh. she's seven. So she, so she does a little bit of the reading too and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, put it, put them to bed. They're down by seven thirty. I take my dog for a walk and back in the house by eight and I'm working for the next three hours. And that's every night. How sustainable is that, though? You know what I mean? Because, like, I tell you, Matt, like, I used to work at night a lot. Mm -hmm. And I, I really don't do it anymore. Like, seldom do I. Like, if something is very urgent and needs to get out, I will. But, like, once my kids are in bed, like, I, I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, I just can't sustain that. So, like, how long can you do it? Well, I've been doing it now for two years. So <laughs> I'm hoping to keep it going. And I, here's the thing. And I think there's been a lot of studies on burnout. Yeah. Is that 
part of it comes down to, you know, like there are teachers who experience burnout. There's this really good study. I think it was in David and Goliath was like, took a meta look at it. Um, is a, it's a Malcolm Gladwell book that I thought was really well done. And they talked about this, you know, these teachers who get really burnt out and which is completely understandable. And these other teachers who were in the same circumstances that didn't get burned out. And one of the differences is that this is, you know, purely anecdotal. So maybe it's too small of a sample size to extrapolate from, but I'm going to do that anyway. Go for it. Is that they, the teachers that didn't burn out were also volunteering, you guessed it, as teachers. Mm. But it was different because they were choosing the circumstances. They were doing it out of passion and love. And it wasn't that, like, they were feeling they're going to fill their hours in a certain way, no matter what. But because they were choosing how to fill their hours, it just felt different. And that's how it feels like for me. Like if you told me like I had to do my day job for three hours every night, I might have a very different answer to this question. But for me, this isn't a labor of love. It doesn't feel like labor at all. I just am so all about it that, you know, it's so, it's so interesting because like you're absolutely right to ask the question, but I don't second guess it at all. The only thing I try to do is try to do it more, not less. Okay, but the other question is, are you allowed to say this? Because I don't think your employer is going to listen. But, like, eventually, do you envision it being your full-time job? That's hard to say. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, do I love doing this? I certainly do. But it's not the – I mean, I've had, I've had sponsors on the show, and they're great. They really are, and they've been very um, – the sponsors I've had have been with me for a long time. Yeah. And I think it's, it, it, it speaks to the relationship we have and that it's a good a good thing for them to do as well. But it's not like – this isn't a cash cow. Sure. So It's a lot so to make money. Yeah, it takes a lot. Yeah, so like while I can get income from it, like I basically take all the income I get from the show and I put it back into the show. Yeah. Whether it's production or advertising and things like that. So it's hard for me to imagine it getting to that point. Obviously, like if it did, like wouldn't that be like champagne problems? But – you know, I don't necessarily <laughs> see it coming to that level um, anytime soon. Do you outsource your, your editing? I recently did. Yeah. That's a huge lift then for you, right? I mean, obviously you're, you're obviously you're paying for it, but like that's got to be a huge time burden lift. It is for sure. It is actually it was this guy, David Margetti from InPost Media. Talk about a good salesman. This guy sent me an email. He, he lifted my one of my um one of my podcasts he was actually a listener to it and he listened to it liked it but thought the audio needed some work so he just did it on his own and sent it to me smart and he was like he's basically i'm in sales to a degree like i have like know what he was doing (laughs) i have these i have these email chains that last forever he condensed the email chain to one email he solved all my problems in one email i was like how can i not hire this guy this guy's great (laughs) so you know again so like I basically take the sponsorship dollars and give them to him, but I think it's worth it because you're just investing in something that you care about. Well, that, and obviously it's, it's clear to me that you're most passionate about having the conversations and sharing the stories, which is, I feel the same way. Like where on a day where I work like six, seven, eight hours, whatever my workday looks like, like this, what we're doing right now is what I walk away being excited about not the editing and not all that stuff though. I have never pulled the trigger to pass the editing off. Cause I, I don't know why it makes me nervous to give it to someone else, but um, you know, the way you're running your show two days a week and, and doing it all in the evening hours, like I don't know how you'd ever did it any other way. Cause the editing itself can be super time consuming. 
Yeah, it really can be. And at, at points, I skimped on it. I didn't do as well as I could have. Yeah. And then, you know, for, you know, I think it's important to make sure that, like, I think it's like also a, a hiring thing. And, you know, I, Gary Vaynerchuk is big on this, and I like to follow him occasionally, is that, you know, you, you delegate the things that either you're not good at or that you just don't care about so mm-hmm. that you can focus more on the stuff that you, you know, are the opposite, you know, mm-hmm. that you do like and that you, you know, that you are good at. And that's basically what I did. And frankly, I wouldn't have started the new show if I didn't do that. Right. Because now have I have time. more time. Yeah. yeah. And now you're doing more of what you love. Which, who doesn't like that? So one more question. <laughs> um, how does your wife feel about you working so much? And, do, and doing this so much on the side. Oh, it, it's it's not an issue at all. Oh, she really? No, no, it really isn't. Um, She's like happy you know, watching her shows or what does she do while you're working exactly, every night? Exactly. She, listen, her day job is a lot harder than mine. That's not to say fundraising isn't hard. Yeah. But she's like, she's teaching elementary school kids all the time. Yeah. So she comes home and then she then she works with our kids. Right. Right. So like she has more elementary school age kids. So by eight o'clock, like she's wiped, man. Of course, and of course she is. Like the same thing happens to me on the weekends when I'm around my kids all the time. So like for me, my job during the day is just isn't as physically exhausting as hers. So she comes home. Basically, what it is that I basically forfeit all rights to Netflix to her, and she's okay with that. So yeah, you guys get the kids to bed, eat whatever, and then she's good with like getting ready for bed and doing her own thing. Yeah, so she's she's watching, you know, she's she's watching her, her some Netflix shows or something like that. I'm in the basement, you know, sitting amongst the kids' toys, recording a podcast or something, <laughs> and like we're just and then, and then we come together at the end of the night. Oh, I love it. Well, I hope to meet your wife someday. Well, yeah. I, I I can't wait to see you again. Hopefully, we'll do something again when you come to New England for Boston. Um, if not, another time. Are you well, going to be going mean, to Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I assume I'm gonna go out there if not for nothing else but to like have a weekend and, and enjoy it. Um, and then, yeah. So, okay. But can we do the end of the podcast questions? Let's do it. Don't leave. Um, okay. What is something professionally or personally that you haven't done yet that you'd like to do? Professionally or personally? Uh, I would say I would love to, at one point do a hundred mile race. Oh, I have no idea when that would happen, but I see someone like Stephen Kirsch just did it over at Sidious Mag. So many people have done it. And again, I like swore off the marathon for a decade. So it's, I'm sure people who are listening to this are now cackling <laughs> that like that I, I want to like quadruple that number. But I, I, I'm endlessly fascinated by that experience. Um, and I would love to do it. So it's been a full 10 years since you ran a marathon. It has. Yeah. Okay. But I'll be running CIM this year. Oh, you are. Okay. And so did Western States this past weekend, like give you that extra nudge to want to do it? You know, I can't, I can't say that it did. It's always, it's been there. It's been there for a while. I remember at a, at an office retreat when I was working at Brown university seven, eight years ago, I had like the same question and that was my answer. Yeah. You know, you might like this thought process of Glenn's my husband, Glenn, who has done, he hasn't done a hundred, but he's done a hundred K and he's done two fifties. He thinks that the volume of mileage that for him at least that he would do during a marathon training cycle and like a 50 or hundred K even, and maybe you'd bump it up a little bit more for a hundred miler, but his marathon training volume is almost as high. So, I mean, 
that's kind of a positive thing when thinking about training for a hundred to think that your volume might be just as high in marathon training if you're going for a really fast marathon. Yeah. I mean, you don't see many runners going over 120 miles a week, no matter what they're training for. And there's plenty of, there's plenty of people that I've even interviewed on my show who've done ultras on 60 miles a week. It's just a different way of training. And also like when they did the ultra, like they weren't like killing themselves for time. Again, it's it's a whole different set of problems. If you're on your feet for, you know, for like 24 hours, (laughs) it's, it's a whole different set of issues. But with that being said, yeah, I'm not scared off necessarily by the training. It's everything else that scares me. Yeah, I'm <laughs> with you. I want to add that. I'm, I'm putting that on my bucket list too. Um, all right. What is something professional or what is something, what is an accomplishment you're most proud of? That I'm most proud of? You know what? I think it's, I think it's these podcasts. Love it. Um, it really is. I know that's such a hokey thing to say because that's what we're talking about. No. But I'm, I'm one of those people who oftentimes had like big ideas and then maybe didn't follow through. Or when things got tough, you know, begged off. And I feel like I've been following through on these things because I'm really excited about it. And there were plenty of times where I was like, I don't know if this is worth it anymore. And I stuck with it. And again, it might not mean anything in the long run, but it means something to me that I stuck with it. And um, that isn't necessarily my personality. And I'm, But I'm excited that, that it's worked out this way. And, and um yeah, again, I know it's hokey because this is like what we've been talking about the whole time, but it's definitely true. I I feel the same way when people ask me that question and I have a similar answer, but it's, I mean, I know how much work you're putting into this and how passionate you are, so I completely understand. Um, what's, I lo- I'm excited about this question because I feel like you and I read a lot of a similar, I read a lot of different kinds of books, but we both have a similar style as far as like that entrepreneur niche like you you mentioned big magic and you mentioned gary vaynerchuk and so what is the best most recent book you've read the best most recent book the best most recent book i've read is easy and it's not either one of the genres that you just mentioned (laughs) um it's the book heavy it's a memoir by by kiese layman it was recently named one of the best 50 memoirs in the last 50 years in america he was my favorite professor at Vassar College. Mm. He was someone who I spent a lot of time with my senior year. I was at his apartment all the time. And he's a brilliant guy. He's experienced so much. His point of view on so many things is just fascinating. He's lived an unbelievably difficult life. Um, and his book, it brought me to tears reading it on several different occasions. And I can't recommend it highly enough and part of the reason it brought me to tears was that a lot of the stuff that he was mentioning in the book that was hard for him happened right in front of my face, and I never picked up on it. Really? And it was like a blow to me to see, like, oh my God, this guy that I cared so much about, and that I was that I felt lucky to have in my life, was going through so much pain, and I had no idea. And it was like just this. It, I was floored uh, so many times reading his book. It's amazing. He's an amazing person. And I mean, one of the best writers in the world. That's, I mean, that's an unassailable fact. Um, I will say that if someone wants to, <laughs> if someone wasn't want anything that part in the pun heavy, I would say the other book that I go back to all the time. And it's my favorite book is by Matt Fitzgerald. It's called iron war. It's the best athletics book that I may have ever read in my life that and Katie Arnold's recent book, you had her on the show. That was unbelievable as well. Yeah. I Okay. I haven't read Matt's book and 
Um, yeah, Katie's book really spoke to me and just like so many, so many ways. And see, I see, I read those books back to back. Yeah. Kiese's book and then Katie's book. And it's amazing that I emotionally held it together during that month because they were both very, uh, boy, you know, th those will take you on a roller coaster of emotions, but they were both absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You know, Katie's book, like when she talks about her anxiety with death and all this, I would like read sentences out loud to my husband because he's literally heard me say the exact same things that she put into words on her in her book. And I'm like, I, I felt like nobody has ever related to me and how I feel about this than this person right here in this book. And it was just like, I mean, obviously it's heavy, but it was like very refreshing to read because it made me feel a little bit less alone. I completely agree. Can I change my answer to one of the questions you just asked? <laughs> sure. What, one of the things that I'm most proud of, um, besides the podcast is, uh, I started seeing a therapist this oh, year. Yeah. Um, I didn't know this, but I was suffering from depression. Um, it was brought to, it, it was basically shoved in my face by my wife who did it in a really touching way. Oh. She, you know, I was going through a period that, um, I didn't know what I was going through. I just like, I didn't know what was going on. And she just sat on the bed and she looked at me and she goes, I want to read something to you and you let me know what, you, what your reaction is. I was like, all right, deal. And she reads, you know, basically these lists of things. And I was like, she's like, what do you think I just read you? What, what does that sound like to you? And I was like, that sounds like you're reading me my own biography. Mm. And she goes, Matt, those are the symptoms of depression. And she framed it perfectly, right? She like, I, I walked right into it and she didn't, you know, she didn't come at me with it. She didn't accuse me of anything. It was done in a very light and touching way. And, you know, and I was going through some, some hard times and I didn't know it. I didn't know why. I just, I would blame everything else. Oh, I'm just tired. Oh, it's just these crazy kids. Oh, it's just work. Oh, it's just this. Oh, it's just that. And I never saw more than a foot in front of my face. But the fact of the matter was, is that I had tidal waves of depression hitting me and I didn't know it. I was just stuck under the water and seeing a therapist pulled me out, put me back on shore and the waves still come, but I'm able to detach myself from them. I can see them and it's made all the difference. I heard you mention that in your podcast with Nick and I wondered, I wondered if that was a new thing. I love how your wife presented it to you. That makes me love her even more. Yeah, it was remarkable how oh. she did it. Wow, that's awesome. So what's what's one of the biggest lessons you've learned with therapy? It sounds like they, they're teaching you how to, like, when the waves come in, like, know how to, like you said, detach and, like, process it. You know what? For me, it's about it's about the foresight there. Okay. Um, it's not about strategies once it comes. Okay. It's much, and that's what I assumed it was going to be, uh -huh. frankly, when I started doing it. It was, it's much more about, um, for me, being able to be self-aware enough to know what's going on with my body. Again, like I was experiencing these things for years and I never chalked it up to depression. And I don't know why I didn't. I was aware of it. I was reading about it and other people, listening to podcasts, people who are depressed, all this stuff. Yeah. And I never, ever connected the dots. And for me, it was really understanding, being as in touch with my, my emotions and what was going on in my head the same way runners are with their bodies, where they understand every little niggle that's going on 
and they're able to identify what, where, when, how, and why, and understanding it from the mental perspective that um, that has really been insightful. And then again, there's, there's other ways of like, you know, how to deal with certain things, how to approach certain situations, how to make sure I'm not doing things that trigger myself into depressive modes, make sure I don't lose my temper, like in times that don't make sense, you know what I mean? Things like that. And, you know, just, just the whole range of things, but the self-awareness aspect, being able to to see what's happening and why is the foundation of it all. Wow, that's good. I'm so glad that you thought to share that, like to come back to it. Yeah, and you know, people might be like, oh yeah, whatever. But no. I might've said that too. But I, I think that, um, again, it's, it's amazing to me that I wasn't able to connect these dots. So while you might, well, someone who's listening to this might not be able to connect the dots with themselves, you may be able to do it for somebody else. Yeah. And that's what worked for me. Yeah. And I think people are scared to pick up the phone and, and make the call and actually make the time even, you know, to go to the appointments, but it's necessary for a lot of people. That's so good. I'm glad you're speaking out about that. I, I noticed that I was mowing the lawn while I listened to your episode with Nick and I took note that you, you made mention of that. And I think Nick said he did too. But yeah, don't, don't put words absolutely. in my mouth. Maybe he didn't. I thought he did, though. No, he did. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and again, it's m about much more than running, but yeah. it affected my running. Yeah. Make no mistake. Oh, for sure. Yeah. In, in the fall, I crashed yeah. and it was not because of overtraining. And at the time I was like, oh, it's because I'm not sleeping enough. Lord knows I wasn't. But that wasn't the reason either. It was 100 percent. You know, it was depression that yeah. was bringing me low and I wasn't able to get out of it. And I needed help. And luckily, you know, someone thought to, to say something. Your wife, the perfect person. There you go. Um, what is a nonprofit you like to support? Uh, the one that I support the most is called uh, Sojourner House. Uh, sorry, Sojourner House. I always mispronounce yeah, it, which is I funny. That, like, that's my that's my biggest one. Yeah. Sojourner House. Um, they help. Um, people who are going through uh, domestic violence, not people, but families mm -hmm. who are either currently or have gone through domestic violence issues. And um, I'm, I'm just in awe by the executive director of the local chapter and to say local chapter, it's, it's, a, it's a local nonprofit here in Providence. Her name is Vanessa Voles. She is a powerhouse and the executive directors of these organizations, if they're at a high level, like she is, they often um, get cherry picked to big organizations. She stayed. She mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. amazing. They do fantastic work, like most nonprofits do. Um, but I just, you know, I, I formed a personal connection with her at first because we were just, I kind of helped her with different fundraising strategies, and then I just got hooked into the the, the nonprofit myself. So that's the one I support the most. I love it. Um, what is your one message, Matt, to send to the world? Oh man, listen to your wife, I guess. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> what if you don't have a wife? Oh man. Oh shoot. Listen to your mom and get a wife. No, um, <laughs> I would, <laughs> I would say, um, a lot of people say like, you know, pursue your passions and stuff like that. And I, I think that that's true. And it, it certainly worked out well for me. I would say pursue what excites you mm. and don't close yourself off to creativity. Not every idea is a good one, but don't close yourself off to it because you never know where that first idea will lead. Love it. That's a great closer. Matt, this is so fun. It's always fun to talk to someone else that's in the same line of work and you're just so fun and easy to talk to, which is why you're so good at your show. 
Oh, that's really nice of you to say. I've been a big fan of yours, and I'm a Patreon subscriber. Go support Lindsay oh. Hine on Patreon. You are. I so appreciate you. Yes. I Thank you so much. Thanks for saying that. You're great. <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, okay. So do we have a launch date? No, it might be pushed back a date, but you're you're launching next week. Yes, either Monday or Tuesday. Monday or Tuesday. So Matt is launching. The, it's called The Road to the Trials, correct? Road to the Olympic Trials. Road to the Olympic Trials next week, July 8th or July 9th. So if they want to find it in any podcast app, do they just write Road to the Olympic Trials? Just type it in. It's the only one there. Okay. And then if you haven't listened to the Rambling Runner podcast, go check that out as well. What I wonder what episode. Do you know what episode I am? I don't know. It was last fall. I was on the show. You could start Yeah, there. you're on the show. It was like in the 120s or something. Yeah, something like that. But if you haven't listened... Go check it out. Listen to Matt's show. He's a great guy. Matt, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. My pleasure. You too, Lindsay. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Matt, for coming on the show. I'm so excited about your new series that you're launching, and I'm just happy and proud to call you my friend. You guys can find Matt on social media. On Instagram, he is rambling underscore runner. Make sure you go check out his podcast, The Rambling Runner, and check out the new series, Road to the Olympic Trials Podcast. I think I was episode 130-something, if you want to start there. Um, you can hear his interview with me. I was pretty newly postpartum when we talked, so I can't vouch for how sane I sound. Uh, you guys can find me on Instagram, and I am lindsayhine626 over there, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you have a great Friday, a wonderful rest of the weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.